Hi, everybody, and welcome into our Supply Chain Meets FinTech virtual event here at FreightWaves. We're getting ready to get your morning started with a very exciting keynote speech, and then we will dig into some awesome content about the intersection of freight, freight tech, finance, and everything in between. My name is Kaylee Nix, and I am very excited to welcome into this keynote Lauren Morton, who is a partner at QED Investors. We're going to talk a little bit about VC appetites for freight tech for fintech, what this looks like on a domestic and a global perspective as well. So, Lauren, thank you for joining us for our Freight Waves Supply Chain Meets Fintech Summit. Happy to have you here. It's great to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Absolutely. So starting off with a little bit about QED investors, give us some background on what you guys do, where you guys are invested in freight tech, fintech, and really kind of how you guys exist in the ecosystem. Yeah, absolutely. So we are a fintech focused global venture fund. Uh, we're currently investing out of our eighth fund. We have a little over three and a half billion dollars in AUM. Um, and we were really born out of the family office of Nigel Morris, who is the co-founder of Capital One. So all of us have some background as operators in fintech. Uh, and over the course of the last 15 years, we've really moved that from being all about you know, credit karma and offering different versions of credit line and lending, which is what most of us kind of grew up doing, to expanding kind of our network into payments, into other parts of the world. Uh, including Latin America, uh, Africa, India, and Southeast Asia recently, uh, and the UK and continental Europe. So we've truly moved into much more of a global firm and also expanded what we mean by fintech. So, you know, we work with logistics companies that are trying to build fintech into their platform. Uh, in addition to, you know, you can think of other verticals, medical, restaurants, um, uh, other types of businesses that may not look like fintech on the surface, but ultimately uh, fintech is a really core component of how they serve their customers. A lot of the way that supply chain has changed in really the last five years, but definitely within the last 20, right? The, the 2000s, early 2000s has been this kind of push to digitization, but it's been a slow go of it, right? We're having a hard time adopting some of these digital payment platforms, a hard time adopting, taking the industry out of paper and pen into a fintech solution. And a lot of that power comes because sometimes people just don't have the capital to do it, right? Is that where funds like QED Investors come in is providing some of that capital to maybe try out some of these digital solutions and get people moving forward? Yeah, exactly. And I think one of the things that we are learning and kind of I think the world saw with Flexport and Beacon and some of the other earlier examples of this is it actually takes a lot of work to turn paper and pen into technology. And with that time, team expertise. Uh, and so with Nuovo Cargo, for example, which is one of the companies in our portfolio, we've invested a lot in that core platform that is just enabling goods to get you know, from what point A to point B across the border and offer transparency and efficiency within that. Uh, and I think if you're trying to bootstrap that, it's much easier to build a pen and paper organization than a technology organization. And in many cases, that's kind of why we've ended up where we are. Uh, but you know, we truly believe at QED that technology has the opportunity to offer a step change advantage uh, in logistics and supply chain. Uh, once those products are kind of built out and invested in. And that's very much what we look for when we 
talk to companies in the space? So our last three years, of course, were categorized by the COVID-19 pandemic. And that really was this catalyst for a lot of change in the industry and gave a lot of companies an opportunity to sit down and understand, okay, where can we move forward? Where can we invest in technology, do something a little different and help serve our partners a little bit better? Can you talk a little bit about how the pandemic really helped either change or shape the investing appetite for QED and what those last three years looked like for the projects that you guys undertook? Yeah, I mean, I think for QED broadly, we became much more open to expanding our understanding of kind of where there was fintech friction in different verticals and systems. Um, and I think that is where supply chain comes up. But it, at the same time, it was such a hot topic that it also opened our eyes to how much capital is locked in systems. And especially when those systems break and get disrupted and have to move, uh, you need different answers and you need, you know, we think both data and technology to help make that transition both more seamless and um, more valuable for the end user. Uh, and that's where we get kind of really excited about technology, not just updating the existing world, but really changing the way things can work and how efficiently people can you know, distribute and have multiple supply chains and multiple kind of places where they're sourcing goods or exporting goods um, as part of the underlying kind of global platform. So when you say capital being locked, is that talking about like maybe an investment fund has come in, provided some capital to some companies and they're just not using it efficiently or effectively. And so you guys come in and look at how you can change that up or what, do, what does that really look like? So in that case, I, I really mean one of the core theses that we've been going after is this idea of supply chain financing and how do we create more uh, liquidity in the system um, for companies, especially that have very long both manufacturing and then shipping and ultimate like, transport to a final customer timelines um, that both have historically been marked by a ton of opacity and actually where a good is in that kind of process, which can be up to 180 days. Uh, and also like a lot of capital that is either required up front that the importer might not have, or payment terms that are, you know, especially for small businesses, for exporters, very hard to offer. Um, and so that's one place where we've looked for, you know, capital and fintech creating really an accelerant for the business and the customers that the logistics company is trying to serve. Um, another example is paying uh, truckers more quickly. So one of the first products that Nuvo Cargo, for example, launched in the fintech space was a product called Carrier Quick Pay, where they were able to transparently ensure that the people delivering the goods both were logged that the work was done and paid on the same day, uh, which just you know created I think significant loyalty and also uh, a differentiated Valprop uh, in the way that they kind of ensured that their their suppliers uh, had the capital they needed to operate. When we look at some of the biggest pain points in the industry, that's definitely something that comes to the forefront a lot of times, right? It's like, hey, I'm doing this work, but I don't have clear visibility on what I'm going to be paid for or what that payments process looks like. And a lot of these companies that come to light have really started to strive to solve that issue. When you're looking at how they're doing that, is there a certain methodology that really, I think, sticks out as something that's most viable or something that 
is is working really well and we should see more adoption of. Yeah. I mean, I think one of our core theses is if you're just solving finance, and this comes from a lot of our, I think, historical background working for banks as investors, uh, if you're just offering a financing product that is pretty easily quickly commoditized. Uh, and so we really look for where are the kind of businesses that have an edge in data and have an edge in product that can offer more than the financing, but financing is a core piece of that, uh, which we believe are more differentiated and sustainable in the long term. Um, so that component is you know, a bit unique for, I think, the view that we take versus a view of some other venture firms might look for, because there's certainly value in the financing. Uh, but we think understanding customers, understanding how you're underwriting those businesses and finding other ways to add value in addition to just the working capital really creates kind of the longer term sustainable mode. So you mentioned that QED does work in multiple places across the globe, Latin America, Africa. You specifically have done a lot of work in Latin America, which is a place that is really blossoming with supply chain opportunities, not only with nearshoring reshoring initiatives from companies here in the United States, but really initiatives of their own. Latin America, Brazil, up through Mexico has seen an explosion in e-commerce, in manufacturing, in trucking in, included in that. And this has proved as a very ripe development ground as well for fintech, freight tech opportunities. What have you seen in the last few years going on in Latin America? And how are VC firms in the U.S. now responding to that and jumping on those opportunities? Yeah, you know, it's been incredibly vibrant and it was really interesting how quickly, to your point, the kind of number of companies being built in logistics uh, and supply chain in LATAM grew really since 2020. Um, but there have been a number of larger ones. Cargo X was an early uh, supply chain logistics company within Brazil. Um, and we've seen, you know, both, the import export, but also within country, just how do we companies try and figure out how do you move goods? How do you, you know, manage warehousing? And, you know, with e-commerce, to your point, becoming more and more of a significant trend across Latin America, even the kind of warehousing and last mile logistics has become a really vibrant and important part of the growing ecosystem and really enabling uh, e-commerce to continue to, to grow at the pace that it has. Um, we've gotten particularly excited about uh, businesses that are trying to solve the cross-border pain point and work with SMBs because those are two places where we see both an incredible amount of friction uh, and just economics that really help pay for uh, the challenges they're taking on. So it's a place both to build great businesses and also you know, solve real problems that we see across the industry. I think it's awesome because you don't necessarily think of Latin America as a hotbed of e-commerce activity when you first think about it, but it is that area that has, it, it makes you take a pause, right? And think, huh, okay, what other opportunities can we explore when we branch outside of our comfort zone for what we think that we know about supply chain? When you start looking at nearshoring and reshoring initiatives, obviously the United States, Mexico relationships and Latin American relationships are going to be pivotal in that. And I've talked a lot about this with some other folks in the industry, about more of a shift from globalization into this regionalization model, working closer with your closer world partners, you decrease supply chain times, transit times, ultimately probably save a little bit of money. 
do you think that that could be a pretty good opportunity going forward, especially for VC funds, maybe looking at opportunities to encourage reshoring initiatives, shorter supply chains, less complicated supply chains? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think we're seeing uh, manufacturing really blossom and startups that are trying to focus on how do we improve manufacturing and transparency of kind of the sourcing of goods and materials uh, across Latin America, especially in Mexico, though, to your point. Um, and then moving goods cross-border and discovery of you know, the people who are in Mexico, the companies that can actually do the work. Uh, I do think there's a continued challenge in actually finding the imports to Mexico and how do we balance that supply chain um, uh, so that you know, the flow of goods is going both directions strongly. Um, but we're beginning to see a lot of conversations raised about that too. And that's something I'm particularly interested in uh, as we look to build kind of healthy uh, cross-border ecosystems. I love that. So let's switch gears a little bit and talk kind of about the changing market dynamics and really how the last year has changed behavior and interest of VC firms. Because as we all know, market not doing super great right now. And that has maybe put hesitancy into some of our investors. And it's definitely made it harder for a lot of these companies who are seeking capital, right? How have you guys seen things change in the last year? Has it brought any dramatic changes to your strategy or to who you're looking to partner with right now? Yeah, I don't think it's caused dramatic changes, but it's definitely been felt. Um, and it's changed some of the conversations that we've had, certainly the focus of those conversations. I mean, I think clearly everyone is very lasered in on unit economics, on margins, on paths to profitability in a world where you know, cash is king and cash is not easy to get. Making sure all of our businesses that we've invested in and anything that we're continuing to invest in have a kind of strong ability to control their own destiny, uh, at least for the next 24 to 36 months, and ideally kind of a path to profitability that kind of keeps them defaults alive uh, versus needing to go back to the market uh, just to keep the business running. Now, that's obviously not always possible. So we're also working with companies to think about how do they shift their strategies and, and make sure the business is healthy enough to go and raise capital. Um, I think within our portfolio and within the logistics space, a lot of that has focused on margins and making sure that kind of we are getting paid and the businesses are getting paid for the work they're doing um, in like probably every vertical, but certainly in logistics. Um, a lot of 2021 was about land grab and trying to bring customers onto the platform, prove you can build long-term existing customer relationships. Uh, and that has very much shifted to how do we make sure those are profitable relationships for both sides. Um, and kind of growing gross profit in addition to top line. Back in 2021, I think about the headlines that we were writing here in Freight Waves and the things I was reading on Freight Waves now, and it seems like every single day it was, this company has this much money in a Series D, this much money is in a, a Series H funding round, and their valuation pushes a billion dollars. We saw kind of this like flash of unicorn companies hit that $1 billion valuation within like August to November of 2021. And then, of course, we saw that market start to soften and kind of start to bottom out through the middle of 2022. 
those headlines have all but disappeared. But from a VC standpoint, are you guys still seeing companies that are actively seeking funding rounds, even in a challenging capital raising environment? And is there still that willingness to invest in them, even though it might not be so supportive right now? Yeah, uh, we are still seeing companies, which is great. I do think Q4 and the very beginning of 2023 was very quiet. It was eerily quiet. Um, but I'm happy to say, you know, it does, we are meeting great companies today. We are seeing investors also come to the table and look for businesses they can write checks into and support. Um, so I do think the ecosystem is going to continue to kind of invest in great companies. There will be companies that certainly, I think over the next 12 months, we kind of hear the other negative side of the story. And I expect, you know, we've only started to hear about acquisitions and shutdowns um, that will happen across the industry for businesses that just shouldn't have gotten funded probably in the last round. Um, but we continue to, you know, seek out healthy businesses, invest. We are certainly writing checks now. Um, and, you know, I you know, know that there is a lot of dry powder out there and people who are hungry to put money to work. Uh, and you know, I'm I'm at least very positive that the rest of this year there's going to be a lot of appetite to put money toward great companies. Now, for us, when we are underwriting in this kind of environment, we are underwriting, assuming that we have to put at least two checks in. Um, and so we're looking at businesses thinking about not just do I want to fund the Series A, for example? But what does the Series A look like? Where does the business need to be by the Series B? And would I be willing to write that check as well? Because uh, we almost need to assume that you know, we might not have a Series B lead um, for companies that maybe would have been very easy to fund a couple of years ago. So that conversation in our investment committees has certainly changed um, to make sure we're comfortable kind of doubling down. When you guys are seeing companies who are still seeking funding in this environment, are you getting a lot of folks who are coming asking for that initial round for maybe their Series A? Or are you seeing more companies who have been funded in the past, maybe looking just for some supplemental capital to continue their operations? Yeah, I would say it depends on how the company is doing. If the company is doing well and they have the kind of metrics and growth and um, core profitability, they're trying to raise a full equity round. Um, if the company is kind of not quite proved all the things they wanted to prove and has you know, had to pivot some over the last 12 months to kind of get the business to a more healthy place than it was when it started, there we're seeing extension rounds. Largely those are done internally where the existing investors come together and put together a, a round to get the business to what we think is kind of the next you know, set of milestones where we would then want to go out and raise equity. So I want to finish this off talking a little bit about the competition aspect that happens when you're raising, trying to raise funds both in an intense environment like what we saw versus a more down market like what we're in now. When these companies are now trying to seek out their series, uh, their funding raises, are, is there a lot of competition between who they're going to to find these rounds? And then as a VC, do you feel that competitive aspect as well between these companies? And then has that changed depending on the market conditions? Like, was it more intense competition back in 2021 and less now? Yeah. So I think it's definitely more competitive for a smaller set of companies. That is still existing. So what I mean by that is there's probably 
you know, a couple of companies we meet every month that the round goes very quickly and there's, you know, 10 investors who are all trying to put money into it. I think that is not the BAU case anymore, though, like it probably was a year and a half ago. Uh, and most of the time we have time to get to know founders, certainly in anything that has a lending component, which tends to have just a smaller subset of investors who are kind of able to and interested in underwriting those businesses. Um, it gives us a lot more time to get to know the founders, to dig into the business, to have the team get to know us and make sure that they're kind of excited to work with us for the next 10 years. Uh, and I personally much more enjoy kind of that time versus the 2021s of kind of running to just try to get a term sheet in the next day, uh, which felt, uh, I think, for all of us pretty challenging. Little, little frantic and chaotic versus that like strategic competition, right? <laughs> right. It's trying to like decide if you're going to marry someone on a first date. I think we're now in a place where we can actually get to know each other first. And that's a much better long-term. You've gone from like to like a full-on full courtship. I think that's, that's a great way to put it. So coming forward into 2023, I know we've talked a little bit about the thoughts for maybe a rebound for just the general freight markets by the time that the second half of the year rolls around. What do you think coming up for the rest of the year that the VC market's going to look like? Are we going to see that slower rebound and the slower return to normal? Obviously not to the inflated levels that we did during the pandemic. Or do you think that this more kind of subdued investing market holds out for a little longer? Yeah, I think we are going to see more companies. I think we're going to see very much a mix. So I think we're going to see more companies start to get funded at the prices that are more like 2017 than 2021. Um, I do think Series Bs and growth rounds will come back to life toward the second half of this year, which will be also very healthy for the industry. Um, but at the same time, I think we're going to hear some, some really bad stories and companies that we all thought were healthy end up kind of not getting to the place they wanted or getting acquired uh, earlier than people would have expected. Um, and so I don't think we're done getting spooked, but I do think we're moving in a direction where people are looking for the right things in businesses. They're trying to write checks or looking for kind of healthy unit economics. And the great companies will continue to get funded uh, probably a little cheaper than they, they were a year ago, but certainly uh, will continue to grow and be able to thrive. And final question for you, is there any specific subset of freight tech or fintech that you think has more growth potential than another possibly coming up into the latter half of the year? Yeah, so, you know, some of the things that we are very excited about are places where we've you know, companies are adding transparency into the supply chain um, where that transparency is coming, obviously, for QED with uh, money movement and the ability to better underwrite uh, lending transactions or supply chain transactions within that. Uh, but I think some of the things we talked about with nearshoring and moving manufacturing and the amount of um, displacement uh, and now replacement of how goods are manufactured and moved and bought and sold. Uh, across the U.S. and LATAM is a place that we're certainly spending a lot of time and excited to invest in. Well, Lauren, we thank you guys so much for coming on to talk a little bit about QED for this keynote speech of our Supply Chain Meets Fintech virtual event. If people want to get in contact with you guys, maybe learn a little bit more about the fund and how you guys operate, where can they go to do that? Yeah, please uh, shoot me an email or come to our website. We're qedinvestors.com and I am lauren at qedinvestors.com. 
great. Thank you so much. We so appreciate it. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you. You too. Thank you all for staying tuned for this first keynote and our first sector of the Supply Chain Meets FinTech virtual event. There is so much more content coming up throughout the rest of the day, including, of course, live shows as always. So make sure that you are staying tuned. If you're giving us a watch on LinkedIn right now, we, of course, appreciate the viewership, but head on over to live.freightwaves.com. Still plenty of time to get registered to enjoy every piece of our virtual events platform that we have offered here on FreightWaves TV. And if you miss any of our sections from today, you can find them on demand following the event on tv.freightwaves.com. Stay tuned. We've got much more coming up on our Supply Chain Meets FinTech.